Hello and welcome to On The Mic, the brand new podcast show by Yahoo Singapore. If you're new to podcasts, you can use the player to start, pause and scroll through the recording. You can also continue to browse the internet in other tabs. I'm your host, Danny Osman, and today's episode is going to be a serious one. According to the Singapore Police Force, family violence has been on the rise since the circuit breaker began on April 7th. This appears to be in line with what's being seen in other parts of the world. For part one of this feature, I spoke with Shaylee Hingorani from the Association of Women for Action and Research, otherwise known as AWARE, to get her views on the issue. Here's our conversation. Hi Shaylee, how are you today? I'm well, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, so before we get started, could we get you to please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Hi everyone, my name is Shelly Hingorani. I'm the Head of Advocacy and Research at AWARE. Um, I oversee all of AWARE's research projects and advocacy strategies. Um, I also often speak to the media, which is why I've been invited onto this show. Uh, just to give you guys a little preview of the kind of work that we do, uh, we are currently working on documenting the impact of COVID on communities of vulnerable women, such as migrant workers, um, specifically domestic workers, migrant spouses, um, and single parents. And what do you plan to do with this research? Will you be bringing it to the authorities so it can maybe um, inform their policy decisions? Right. So all our research is advocacy-based research, which essentially means that we don't do research for the sake of research. We are doing research because, A, we want to raise public awareness uh, by documenting the experiences of people who, um, you know, people might not ordinarily come in contact with. Um, and, and the second role that we hope our research will play is in shifting the policy conversation on uh, certain issues. So I wanted to talk to you today about the reported increase in family violence during the circuit breaker period. But before we jump into that, um, from AWARE's perspective, how do you define family violence? Um, I'm really glad that we're starting with the basics because domestic violence as a phenomena is not easy to understand. Um, and, and there is some confusion about what it actually means. So domestic violence is a pattern of behavior in any relationship, any family relationship that's used to gain or maintain power and control. It doesn't have to be physical. It could be psychological. It could be financial. It could be emotional as well. And how does AWARE help the victims of family violence? So our Women's Helpline, which has been running since 1991, provides emotional support and practical advice to women in distress. Uh, now, this category is broader than just domestic violence, but as part of this helpline, we've been receiving calls from women who are facing domestic violence for many, many years. Um, so that's really how we collect information on um, the abuse that women are facing at home. Um, even though it's a women's helpline, we occasionally also get men calling in either um, to sort of figure out what um, avenues they have available for support or calling in beha calling on behalf of a, of a friend or a sister to figure out how they can support the woman in distress. Um, I believe you guys reported earlier this year that you've been seeing um, an increase in number of calls to your hotline. Do you think this is a link to the pandemic? 
It's definitely related to the pandemic. So let me give you the um, most latest figures. In April 2020, we saw a 112% increase in calls related to family violence as compared to April 2019, which is a massive spike, right? Um, the question that you know many people have asked us is whether the abuse that callers are describing is new or not. Um, and, and this is why I was really glad that we started with that fundamental definition of what domestic violence is, because um, when women are calling us, they're describing situations of ongoing abuse that has become worse under circuit breaker. So let's look at why we think that the increase in calls is actually related to the circuit breaker period, right? Um, we know we know through you know years and years of experience that um, domestic abusers often try to isolate their victims so that they can exert physical and psychological control over them. And lockdowns, circuit breaker measures that are in place that are clearly really important to contain the spread of coronavirus have magnified abusers' ability to control their victims. Uh, that's why we're seeing, you know, examples, and this is true across the world, of how the lockdown is prompting some already abusive men to become more abusive. You know, they may have been verbally abusive in the past, but they're becoming physically violent now. They may have been physically abusive in the past and, you know, the frequency of abuse is increasing. Um, why is this happening? I think whoever you are, right, COVID-19 has taken your control away. You've lost control of where you can go, what you can do. You might have also lost control over your finances given you know, what we know about the unemployment rates right now. Um, and we might be seeing an increase in family violence because abusers are seeking a sense of control over their disrupted lives. And, um, you know, they're sort of lashing out at those around them. Now, if you were to imagine, you know, what an abusive household may look like in quote-unquote normal times, uh, victims typically have, um, you know, escape available, even if it is brief. Um, and I'm thinking of, you know, going to school, going to work. This is no longer available to them. So there, there's no respite available to them. Second, um, as a victim, your ability to seek help has been curtailed as well because you're isolated with your abuser and you're afraid that if you were to pick up the phone and call for help, um, you know, you may be overheard or you may have privacy concerns, right? Um, and then finally, many victims we know rely on informal sort of sources of support. Um, in, for example, friends, for example, neighbors, um, they are cut off from these sources of support as well. So the situation is actually quite dire. And from all the reports you've received so far, have any of them stood out for being particularly disturbing? So one one example that sort of immediately comes to mind is um, a caller called us a while ago to say that her husband had smashed her working laptop. Um, and so, you know, she wasn't being able to work anymore. Um, and there are other cases that we've heard of men sort of using technology to control their wives. So, you know, controlling when they can use Wi-Fi, when they can use their computers to work. Um, of course, we're also seeing cases where 
men are threatening to kill themselves unless wives behave in a certain kind of way, right? Um, so this should give you a, a range of the kinds of cases that we're seeing. It is important to note um, that although all the examples I quoted just now involve you know, men and wives, uh, we're also seeing calls on elder abuse. Um, so caregivers and care recipients not sort of getting along and lashing out against each other. We're also seeing cases of child abuse. So really, family violence actually involves a whole range of different cases. And it's important to remember that it's not just restricted to husbands and wives. So with all this going on, um, how do you think the uh, authorities have been handling the situation? Um, so I think that the government has responded uh, fairly quickly to reports that uh, family violence um, is on the rise. So if you remember, um, in April, the government launched the National Care Hotline, right, um, which is a national resource available to anybody experience any kind of emotional or physical distress, which I think is a positive sign that the government is taking this really, really seriously. The release of police data is another great example to sort of showcase uh, that the government is actually taking this problem extremely seriously. Um, at AWARE, we've had to innovate, given what we know about uh, victims' inability to reach out for help. So just um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we launched a new chat service because we know that it's really difficult for women and men to get on the phone to seek help. We we thought to ourselves, what would be the safest way of um, sort of allowing women and men to get in touch with us when they were facing abuse at home? Um, and so we launched a chat service that allows you to chat. And when I when I say chat, I mean message us online um, at at an appointed time. So let's say you know your abuser goes to sleep at three thirty p.m. every afternoon, right? You can schedule a chat with us in advance to say, I would like to talk to you at 3.30 p.m. Um, and, and the kind of service that we provided on the Women's Helpline, we're now providing through this chat service. Is this a 24-hour service? Uh, unfortunately, it is not 24 hours. Um, it's, it follows the same timings as the Women's Helpline. So it's available from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that's one of the problems, right? Because the people who are um, helping with the chat, I mean, they have their lives as well, and we have to respect their professional boundaries too. So unfortunately... You know, they're only available um, from 10 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. Well, it's good to know it. there's at least uh, these resources out there for people in need of help. Um, just to follow up, if you happen to be the family member, friend or even neighbor of someone that you suspect is being abused, um, what should you do? Should you ever confront the person that you think is the abuser? Uh, no. So I think that calling the abuser is a bad idea because typically it's the victims who know how to keep themselves safe. You know, they've lived that abusive life. They know what takes the abuser off um, and what doesn't, right? Um, and they know the abuser better than anybody else. So you might be tempted to call the abuser just because you think that confronting them might help them stop. Uh, this is rarely the case. 
unrequested contact uh, means that there's often a higher chance that they will blame the victim for talking about it and punish them for it. So unless uh, somebody has specifically requested you to speak to or call the abuser, you should avoid doing that. Another thing that you could do is to keep uh, communication open. You know, it's really important to keep talking to people you suspect might be victims of domestic abuse. Um, you have to keep being there for this person. Um, you have to realize that this contact might actually be a lifeline of sorts. And when you're communicating with them, it's important that you, you're not judgmental of the choices that they are making, whether the choice be that they want to continue to remain in the abusive relationship or they want to leave the abusive relationship. It's important to be non-judgmental. Um, it's important for them to also um, know, and I'm talking about victims here, that they are not alone. So when you're communicating with them as a neighbor, as a friend, as a family member, tell them that they are not alone, that you you believe them. Finally, I just want to quickly say that it's extremely important to manage expectations as well. So you have to be honest about the kind of help you can offer, right? Um, someone leaving a domestic abuse situation may need money. They may, may need a place to stay or someone to help with childcare, right? You have to be careful as a friend, as somebody who cares, uh, to let them know what it is that you are going to offer, right? Um, and if all you're able to do is listen, which is which is also amazing, I called contact a lifeline, and it really is, then be clear about it. I think um, neighbors, family, friends can also equip themselves with information on available resources such as helplines, such as family service centers, shelters, organizations providing counseling, so that if the victim ever asks, you're able to provide this information. And with all the regulations in place, um, what are some of the problems that you've encountered in trying to help victims of uh, family violence during the circuit breaker? Um, I think we've touched upon some of this already, but let me quickly summarize what some of the challenges we are facing and providing help to family violence victims, right? Um, so one is that we know it's difficult for women and men to reach out for help, right? Which is why we innovated and we um, actually launched that chat service that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, it's also difficult because uh, women and men are not being able to rely on formal and informal networks of support. Um, so that really limits and curtails their ability to um, get any kind of respite from uh, family violence. There's a fair amount of unpredictability associated with COVID-19 in general, right? Um, and it's important to remember that we know that, you know, during times of economic recession, for instance, family violence actually goes up, right? Um, and we know that many of us are uncertain of our employment future. Many of us are uncertain about our economic future. So we should actually expect to continue to receive calls for support from family violence victims. I think it's important for us to remember that family violence is not going to go back to pre-COVID 
um, numbers um, one circuit breaker ends, right? Because there are many people who have not been able to reach out for help during circuit breaker because of reasons I described earlier. Lack of privacy, um, fearing that the abuser might overhear them. Um, and so these people might come out for support, looking for help and support after the circuit breaker ends. So with the uh, pandemic expected to stretch on and um, safe distancing regulations likely to be in place for quite a while, do you see the situation improving as a new normal sets in? So there's no straightforward answer to that, unfortunately, right? Because on the one hand, yes, we may get used to sort of spending increased amounts of time with our family members, but we know any increase in family time spent together actually leads to more uh, family violence, uh, right? And you you might actually get used to sort of staying at home, but um, you might not sort of get used to being unemployed or not making, you know, the same salary that you were making before COVID. Um, so that has to be taken into account as well. There may be other sort of factors related to the pandemic that may make you feel like your life is not under control, which may lead you to then lash out, um, you know, against those who live with you. So there's no straightforward answer to your question, unfortunately. Um, but I think it's important for us to be prepared for the worst. Um, you know, I would love to be optimistic and say that I think the situation is going to improve. Uh, but in, in, in being optimistic, we should not um, be stingy in how we prepare for the post-COVID period. And looking at the big picture, um, how widespread is family violence in Singapore? Are there groups or communities in which it occurs more frequently? Um, so we know, and this is true worldwide, right? Domestic abuse is, is a type of abuse that is widely underreported because there are many myths surrounding the domestic abuse. One myth is that it's a private matter, right? That you should not air dirty laundry in public uh, because that might bring shame onto the family, onto you. Um, so that's that's something that's important to remember. So actually, I think that it's difficult to ascertain just how big the problem is because it's fundamentally underreported. Um, there are um, you know, opinion pieces that we see once in a while claiming that domestic violence is more prevalent in certain communities, right? But it's important to remember that because domestic violence is about power and control, um, it can actually happen in any type of family, in any type of family. And that's important to remember. So it's not restricted to low-income households um, as, you know, uh, some people perceive it to be. It's it's widespread across households, across classes. And as a non-governmental organization, um, what's your working relationship like with um, the government agencies when it comes to tackling issues like family violence? Um, I would say it's a collaborative effort because um, domestic violence is underreported. There are many myths surrounding domestic violence. It's important that NGOs sort of work with each other as well as with the government. Um, and, and this is important because uh, no one nonprofit organization is going to have, um, you know, the resources required to tackle such an important and widespread problem. Um, so we definitely have to be collaborative. It's also useful to remember that apart from providing support services, right, that 
that help individual men and women deal with abusive situations, there's a lot of upstream work to be done as well. And by this, I mean, you know, conversations around what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. So conversations on gender roles are really, really important. Conversations around, you know, myths that we were talking about earlier surrounding what is family violence and what is not um, are also really important. One of the first questions you asked me was whether or not domestic violence was restricted to physical forms of violence, right? And we had an interesting sort of exchange on that question. There are many people who think that you know emotional violence is not is not domestic violence or financial uh, financial sort of abuse is not abuse. And I think that this may also, if if these myths are internalized, these may be preventing victims from reaching out for help and support, right? So you need need a whole of society approach to tackling this problem. I don't think any one entity, nonprofit, um, support organizations can can tackle this problem on their own. And before we go, I'd just like to ask um, for anyone out there who's listening in and is currently in a bad situation, what would you advise them to do? What's the first step they should take? Um, so it's important to remember that safety is of paramount concern here, right? Um, and of course, it might not be easy uh, right now to escape abusive relationships. So it's important to see how you can make yourself, quote unquote, safe um, to make sure that, you know, the harm that is being caused to you is not long lasting. And I'm thinking specifically of physical abuse. Um, we recommend that women who are facing violence at home, um, you know, try and develop a safety plan for themselves. This involves um, taking note of, um, you know, the closest sort of shelter, the closest police station, having these numbers jotted down on a piece of paper. It's also important to grab all the important documents, you know, your passport, your kid's birth certificate, your bank account information, and keep that in a bag hidden somewhere. It's also important that you identify safe places in your neighborhood, within your house, maybe a room that you can lock from inside, for example. Um, You can also um, ensure that you put away sharp objects that may be used against you in a struggle. Um, You should avoid using sort of long jewelry, wearing scarves that can be used to strangle you. Um, It's also important to keep in touch with your friends. Develop a routine to keep in touch with your friends so that they know if you don't call them, you know, at, at, at a particular time, that they should call you and check in on you. We talked about code words, right? Signifying whether whether you need help or not. I think that's really useful as well. So set up these code words with your friends, with your neighbors, you know, people you are in touch with on a regular basis. Um, and, and you can have a different set of set, um, code words for when you need help um, and when you want your friend to contact the police with you. Well, that's all the questions I have for now. Um, thanks again for speaking with us, Shaley. It's been a very enlightening conversation. Thanks so much. So that's part one of our feature on family violence during the circuit breaker and pandemic. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with a social worker about her experiences in helping victims of family violence. 
Until then, this is Dani Osman signing off. 